That is a very fitting hymn you'll see for the scripture we are about to read. I invite you to take out your Bibles and um, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one in one of the seats around you. Uh, you can grab one from there, or you can pull out your, your phone and look up Luke 7. We're going to read starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at their table to have a meal. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to to wet his feet Uh, with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she, what has she done? She's wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time that I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at reasons for why people love Jesus. Why can we love Jesus? And of, of the stories in the Gospels, perhaps there's no, uh, no greater affection and love for Jesus shown than, than in this story right here. And, and we see what prompts this amazing display of love for Jesus, and it's the forgiveness of her sins. Uh, What is it about her sins being forgiven that moves her to love Jesus? Well, I think one one of the aspects of her forgiveness that just moves her uh, to forgive to love Jesus is how surprising it was for her sins to be forgiven. So the story tells uh, us that she 
was known as a sinner in her local town. And so, uh, most likely, this means she was very visible in the town as a prostitute. And the fact that she's been identified by the town as a sinner means what? That uh, she would have been uh, receiving scornful glances from the, the people in the town when they saw her. When they didn't see her, it could mean that they were talking about her at times. What a sinner that she was. She was an example of being sinful. And she was ostracized by her community. And, of course, we see this in Simon's reaction to her in the story, don't we? I mean, she's just completely ostracized by, by Simon. His view is, is rather straightforward of her, that this woman uh, should be rejected and reprimanded and face some repercussions because of her sinful lifestyle. But that's not what happens in the story from Jesus. And Jesus' response reveals something about God that we shouldn't forget. And it's this. God does surprising things. Uh, let me tell you what one problem is in this story. It's that Simon the Pharisee thinks that he has God all figured out. And figure out is not an acceptable aim that we should have regarding God. Figure out is not uh, acceptable when God is the object. In other words, we don't figure out God. God reveals himself to us, but we don't figure God out. God does surprising things. But it's exactly what Simon believes. I got God all figured out. And, he, and, and we see that in, in verse 39. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 39. It's on the screen as well. Simon says this, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So here's what Simon is thinking. Something is not from God unless it fits with my understanding of how God would act if he were me. If it doesn't fit my mental mindset of God, it... It it can't be from God. And so Simon reasons about Jesus. Well, therefore, this man can't be a prophet of God because there's no way that God would condone her behavior. And so, therefore, a prophet of God surely wouldn't be condoning her behavior as well. And what Simon is displaying is an attitude that his fellow Pharisees would have endorsed. Uh, let me give you two Pharisee thoughts this morning. Many, many people hold this way of a Pharisee thinking. So just look at these. Lots of people believe these things. So two, two thoughts of Pharisee thinking. One is this, true life, true religious life, is carried out through careful and determined obedience to God's commands. That's, that's a, a Pharisee. That, that what... what what religious life is all about is about being obedient to God's commands. That's the essence of religious life. Now, many non-Christians believe this. Uh, the vast majority of world religions operate like this. There are many religious people who think that if you are like this woman in the story, then God 
has to be very displeased with you and quite possibly want to have nothing to do with you. Well, that is not Christianity. So the second Pharisee thought that we see in Simon is this. God favors people according according to their demonstration of obedience. The more obedient you are to God, you should expect God to favor you more. A Pharisee belief is this. You do your part and you give an A effort and you should get A result backs from A results back for your efforts. If you give B a grade of B in your efforts, you should expect to get B results in return for your efforts. And if you give F efforts, and that is what Simon is thinking about this woman, she's giving F efforts with her life. It's the, the, the Pharisee thinking that you should get F results. And this is why, if you're a Pharisee, the willingness of Jesus to, uh, to let this woman demonstrate such a, an amazing display of love uh, and affection for him is so shocking. So if Jesus is a prophet of God, then is that, this is Simon's thinking, his attitudes should be like God's, and clearly God wouldn't tolerate any of that nonsense action from this woman at that party that she's you know, kissing Jesus' feet and letting down her hair and all these shenanigans of her, of hers. Forget it. So Simon would have... Now, now let's think about what... Why did Simon believe those things? Well, likely Simon could have thought all the way back to God giving the Israelites the promised land in the Old, in the Old Testament. Of course, he's not thinking of the Old Testament. That term came about later, the Old Testament. But he would have thought about God giving the Israelites the promised land, and, and, and they did nothing to, to earn that land, to win that land on their own. It was a gift from God. God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments to obey, And what Simon knew was that when the Israelites disobeyed and lived in persistent sin, the the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they lived in persistent sin year after year, Simon knew something. God took the promised land away from the Israelites. God sent other nations to to enact his judgment against the Israelites, to conquer the Israelites, to expel them from the land. And so Simon would think, well, there you go. You put in an F effort and you get F results. Now, there's a really surprising statement from God uh, contained in the prophet Isaiah. I want to look at this, chapter 43 of Isaiah. And uh, we're going to start with verse 18. Uh, God says this. Remember, God does surprising things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Now, what the Israelite people were used to was God punishing their sin by sending these, these powerful other nations to enact God's judgment on them. That's what they're used to. Then God makes a condemning statement about the Israelites in verse 20. God says, now the wild animals, they honor me. The jackals and the owls, they honor me. 
Why? Because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to not even the animals, God says, but to my people, my chosen, the people that I have formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So God says, even when you've been in the wilderness, you Israelites, my people, even when you've been in the wilderness, outside of the promised land of milk and honey, even when you've been in the wilderness, I've provided for you. I've been providing streams in the wasteland. Now the animals are honoring me. But are you honoring me, O Israelites? No. Verse 22, this is what God says, Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. Another nickname for the Israelite people. You have not wearied yourself for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings. You've not honored me with your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. Now, if Simon the Pharisee were to have considered this scripture as he sees this woman behaving this way towards Jesus, he might have thought, yes, that's exactly what this woman is. She's a burden. She's a burden to this town. She's a burden to me right now because I'm hosting this dinner party and she comes in and she behaves in this way. She's just a burden. She's embarrassing me. She's a burden to this prophet right here. She deserves condemnation. But then look at what God says. The very next verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says this stunning, shocking, surprising statement. You've been a burden to me, God says, but I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I remember your sins No more. No more. I'm doing a new thing, God says to the Israelites. But it's not like God gives the promised land back to the Israelites for good, for theirs to keep. And this is kind of an important detail of this this story. Because you might equate, oh, if God's forgiving their sins, he's going to give the land back to them, and they're going to live happily forever after in this promised land. And, And that's not what happens. But he brings forgiveness by not holding their sins over their heads any longer. What God was showing is that the promised land really wasn't about a land. I mean, the land was important, yes, But the land ultimately is not the the true gift from God. The promised land ultimately is what? It's God himself. God is saying, I'm going to to forgive your sins and remember your sins no more so that, not so that you can occupy in this land for the rest of your life, but so that you can know that you will always have me. I'm your promised land, and you will never lose me because I will remember your sins no more. I will be that secure land for you. I will give you rest. So think about this dinner party, and Jesus is embracing this woman. What is he doing? He is enacting this out, this promise of God to this woman. What is... What does Jesus say? Matthew 11, chapter 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, you know the word, rest. Because the promised land isn't about the land. The promised land is about God, the God, the gift himself, who will give us rest. So 
what is Jesus doing? He is showing this woman and to us what God is really like. God reveals himself most completely and most fully through Jesus Christ. If you ever start wondering, what is God like? You look to Jesus. That's what God is like. What Jesus reveals is that God offers surprising forgiveness. No matter what the sin is that we have committed, no matter how often we have committed them, when we truly seek God's forgiveness, and that's a key, we must recognize our need for radical forgiveness in the first place. This story says something about us, that, that we are sinners, and without God's forgiveness, we are lost. And, 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 and that is what Jesus tries to point out to Simon, right? You see, Jesus tells this parable to Simon and, uh, when the woman's right there and turns to Simon, I, I got a parable, I got a story to tell you, Simon. And he tells this story about two people in debt. There's one who owes 500 denarii, and that's about a year's worth of wages, just a, just a, a, a massive sum of money that this person would not be able to come back up, to not be able to, to, to acquire to, to pay back that debt. And there's another person who owns 50 denarii, so maybe a month's wages, still a large amount. Now, here's what is important. There are two people, not one. There are two debts, not one. And Jesus says, neither person has the money to pay off the debt. He's telling this to Simon. What is he saying? Simon, one of those debtors has your name on them. Simon, do you realize that you are just like the woman? In one important regard, your sins, the hardness of your heart has made you a debtor to God. And according to Jesus, you tell Simon, and you cannot repay it. It's out of your reach. The stakes are oh so high because you alone cannot repay that debt. In those days, you know, if you couldn't repay a debt, You'd go to jail. You'd be thrown in prison. You'd become a slave, working off your your debt. Big stakes, Simon. You're the debtor too. So the story says that everyone has a debt to God. You, I mean, okay. So you could be like the woman. You could be like the woman in the story. You you could you could have a, a past of of just moral failures, and maybe some of those moral failures you've kept them between you and God. You know that God knows, and no one else knows. You could have a past of moral failures. And maybe you're not active in a rebellious lifestyle now, but you've wondered, has God has God really let go of my past rebellion? Is, is, is God really remembering those sins no more? Or you could be like Simon in the story. You know, when I think back on my life earlier, I, I didn't identify with Simon but I was like Simon. Uh, my parents made sure that we went to church every Sunday, and so I knew it was bad to be a Pharisee. I heard the word on that. I sung the song about that. You didn't want to be a Pharisee. Bad to be a Pharisee. Yeah, that's exactly how I acted. Uh, one of the one of the tell-tell actions of a Pharisee is that you prop yourself up by tearing others down, right? And 
when I was when I was in high school, I I was I was I was the nice guy. I had a good number of friends, but I definitely wasn't a comfortable guy, and I and and certainly not a confident guy. And my nice guy persona was not enough for me to like myself, to feel comfortable in my own skin. And I found all kinds of reasons why I should think uh, that I was a better person than the other students around me. And usually there were students that I, either, I was either jealous of or I didn't like in the first place. And I would just hunt for reasons why, oh, yeah, I'm better than you. That I'm better than you. You know, I, I, I'm not getting up in the partying and the drinking and, the, and all that, that, that business that you're getting up in and, and getting caught up in. And I was just like this Pharisee, and I didn't even know it. See, I thought my sin was pretty small compared to the sins of others. And sometimes you can only tell if you were a Pharisee or are a Pharisee, when you look back on your actions and reflect on them. So maybe, maybe you could be like Simon in the story. Let me give you a third, let me give you a third person you might identify with. Maybe you're not the Pharisee type at all. Uh, you could be the easygoing type. Uh, you like people and you don't look down on people. I was looking down on people. Maybe you love people. You, you, you don't look down on people. You don't look down on this woman in the story. You don't identify yourself with her. You don't identify yourself with Simon the Pharisee. You don't look down on sin. You don't look down on your own sin. And there's many people that just kind of stay in their own lane in life. But throughout life, they never really get into God's lane. They're just, I'm in my own lane, minding my own business. All Everything's great. Is sin that big of a deal, that person might ask? Is sin something that God just, yeah, maybe he just kind of shakes his head at with a little bit of displeasure, you know, like, oh, that's, that's not good, that's not good. But then he just moves on. Is, is that what, what sin is? I mean, we can treat sin like that. And when we do, I suggest that we put ourselves in the danger of using God. It's it's a bit like using God. It's a bit like the fellow who um uh I don't I just made the story up. Um it's a bit like this fellow, you all know this fellow. No, it's just a story made up. It's just like a fellow um who finds himself in a really unfortunate situation, needing a place to stay. And a compassionate family takes him in. Uh, they even remodel a bedroom for him, go out of the way to make a, a comfy place for him. And the guy eats up all their food. He never pitches in himself. He never cleans up after himself. He lives, his room is a disaster and his stuff is scattered throughout the house. He just mooches and uses this family. And the time or two that the pantry is empty, you know what he does? He goes up to the, the host family mom and he says, Oh, uh, can't you go and get some food? Because I'm, I'm getting hungry. And after a while, the family thinks, Oh, okay, enough is enough. And they tell him, It's time to move on. And he says, Wait, you can't kick me out of my own house. That's, that, he's using the family. And sometimes we can use God like that. Treating sin seriously means recognizing we live in God's house. This, this isn't our house. This is his world. It's not, it's not our world. He gives us life. It's his life. It's not our life. We owe him everything. 
So do you get how sin is, is a big deal? It, it's, it's not just missing the mark. Sin is not just missing the mark. It is that. And then, you know, you might recognize missing the mark is like this technical definition of, of the word sin, the, the biblical word for sin. It is missing the mark, but it's more than that. It is, sin is a willingness to use God instead of worshiping God. Sin is, is shaking your fist at God and saying, I don't care what you say. This is my house. It's my life. It's a big deal, right? And, and, and the Bible reveals hell is the place for people who become hardened in their heart and says, God, I don't care what you say. So here, what's your view of sin? Here's a few practical signs that you think that sin is small or that your sin is small. You might have difficult forgiving others. That's one practical sign. If you have a hard time forgiving others, that could mean that you haven't thought about either your own forgiveness that you've received or your own need for forgiveness. If you have a small view of sin, maybe yeah, maybe God's forgiven me that small thing that I did, but I can still hold that big thing over your head that you did. Uh, another sign, if you are always looking down on others. If, if I have a small view of my sin, it's easy for me to compare myself with others and believe I'm on the superior side. And when I start... Um, seeing myself as the superior one, there's a word that we use to define the that that we, we then carry into our relationships, and it's this contempt. We start showing contempt for others because we think, "Oh, I'm, I'm so superior than you are. You should listen to what I say." Uh, another sign: seeing obedience to God as a duty. That's another sign that you think that your sin is small. You come to church out of duty. You serve out of duty. There's no, there's little heart in it, in, in you serving. You're just like, well, that's what I got to do, I guess. And if that's you, I would suggest that we consider verse 47 from Luke 7, what Jesus tells the Pharisee, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. It's not duty. She feels love. You see, the story of Jesus and the woman and the Pharisee reveals a fundamental way to tell if you really understand the weight of your sin and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? See, the more that we're aware of our sin, the, the closer we, we can be to Jesus. See, you don't think much about your, the, the sin that you have. You, you'll never love Jesus deeply. You'll never be drawn to Jesus. This woman loved Jesus because she knew he has canceled. He's canceled all of my, all of my debts. So let's talk about Let's talk about the canceling of debts. In order for our sins, in order for our debts to God to be canceled, that cost of the debt has to be paid 
by someone else. If the, if the cost is not paid by someone else, then the debt has not been canceled. It's just been deferred until later. So have you ever um, had someone do something hurtful against you and you just stuff it all down inside and you think, okay, I've, it's all right to this person, no big deal. But then later, but then later you, you think, oh, but I'm still, I'm still just angry inside. I'm still furious. And it all comes back up in your inside. See that the debt hasn't really been canceled, has it? It's just been deferred until later. In order for the debt to be canceled, it has to be paid by someone else. And that is exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took on the whole cost of the debt. He paid for that debt with his life. And therefore, when God forgives you, he does not bring it back up in his mind because it's been fully paid. And he doesn't hold his anger over you. And I've heard one pastor put it like this, God doesn't punish the same sin twice. (laughs) And he's already placed that punishment on Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And so we don't have to be afraid of God punishing us twice for that sin. Do you have a small view or a big view of your sin? When we look at Simon the Pharisee, two more, three more things to... Fill in on your notes if you're filling stuff in. A small view of sin and forgiveness sees Jesus as an add-on to appreciate. If I have a small view of my own sin, Jesus is an add-on to appreciate. And this is Simon's attitude. He appreciated Jesus enough to invite him over, to to, to listen to him. Uh, I think Simon thought Jesus was an intriguing guy who had lots of people following him, and so he was worth getting to know. But Simon really didn't see his life all that much worse off without Jesus. He saw Jesus as an add-on to appreciate in his life. On the other hand, a big view of sin sees, a big view of sin and forgiveness sees Jesus as life itself. That's why from the moment that Jesus stepped in that party, there was this woman just loving him and expressing her gratitude. Because this woman, for this woman, Jesus' life itself, when she knew my sins are forgiven and they're gone, she realized I get my real life back without shame of my past, without condemnation for my sins, And it's a life with Jesus, and so she loved Jesus greatly. Uh, J.C. Ryle, it's never a bad idea to have a J.C. Ryle quote in a sermon. J.C. Ryle, the old Anglican pastor, put it like this, Love for Jesus is the result of our forgiveness, not the reason for forgiveness. So it's not that she loved Jesus and Jesus saw that and said, Whoa, lady, that's awesome. Your sins are forgiven. No, he had forgiven her sins. She knew that her sins were forgiven. And she loved Jesus for it. This story shows us 
that Jesus offers the surprising gift of forgiveness to people who truly seek it, resulting in great love for Christ. So how about you? Let's have a time of prayer, moving into a time of worship. And if you'll think for a moment, close your eyes for a moment. Um, As we pray, you might find yourself being like this woman or identifying with this woman in 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 the story. And as we pray, you can come to Jesus and you can say, Jesus, please forgive my sins. I am sorry for turning away from you. You can do that in this time of prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the penalty, paying the price, paying the full cost of my debt, my sins. I invite you to do that if you look at the story and say, that's me, that lady, that's me. Or maybe you feel like Simon and you recognize I, I have this heart that's kind of cold or lukewarm even to God and to Jesus. And, and being here this morning serving maybe just me more like duty than, than, than love and, and you can confess your hardness of heart towards God, towards others. And you can accept the gift of God's love. Jesus will forgive you just, just like he forgave that woman. And maybe you are like the easygoing person about sin. And I invite you to see that that attitude towards sinning against God is like shaking your fist against God and saying, God, I do not care what you say to me. And if that's you and you're, you know, you don't want to be that person. You want forgiveness. You can come to Jesus. Because Jesus offers a surprising gift of forgiveness to people who truly seek it, resulting in great love for Christ. So let's pray. Jesus, you are our forgiving Savior. And we want to be in this right relationship with you. And that right relationship is one where we receive your love and your forgiveness, and we're freed up to to love you and to live with you and know that we find rest in you. You are our promise, a life with you. And knowing you, that's eternal life. So, Lord, will you soften our hearts as we reflect on our attitudes and our actions? And will you hear us as we confess so that we maybe will be forgiven for the first time if we're turning to you for the first time? Or that we will be reminded that you do not remember our sins anymore. Thank you for that promise of your love and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.